0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Father, we, we thank you for the words, Lord, on Ian's heart, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this series in Ephesians he's doing, Lord. We thank you for, for, that your word is living, Father. It's life, Father, that it brings life to our, our souls, Lord. We, we thank you that your word goes out and does what it, you've set out to achieve, Lord. It never comes back void. So I just pray, Lord, that as we listen, Lord, to the words that you've given Ian, Lord, we pray that it would um, grow in our hearts, Lord. Would it mould our hearts, Lord? Would You bring change where change is needed, Lord? And and help us to be able to continue to grow to be more like You each and every day, Lord. And and use these words, Lord. Would You bless Him as He brings it, Lord? And and give Him confidence as He shares shares in this message, Father. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. And uh, great to see you all here. And welcome to our visitors some who we know and some who we've only just met this morning. Glad you could join us. Um, before I get started, <clears throat> most of you know Merrily leads our worship team on the Sunday morning and obviously not here this morning. Um, she does a fantastic job of leading our team and leading us to lift up our voices in worship to the great King. our Saviour Jesus Christ Um, but even when she's not here she does a great job of leading us because she chose the songs this morning and they tie in with my message so well (laughs) and she didn't know what I was preaching I mean she knew it was Ephesians 1 but she didn't know specifically what I was preaching and uh, so what she chose for us to sing this morning laid a foundation for what I'm about to share. Last week we started a look at a mini-series through the book of Ephesians and we started off in the book of Acts actually, 18, 19 and 20 primarily, uh, to lay the foundation of what what Ephesus, the city of Ephesus was about, what the church, how the church was founded, uh, the problems it faced, the challenges in the city of Ephesus and this week we continue with the first chapter of Ephesus and my goal is to get through one chapter every week which will be a real challenge for me, as most of you know. Um, and it would be no secret to many of you that I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favourites, and I've recommended it many, many times as medicine for whatever ails you spiritually, and especially the first couple of chapters. Um, if I've ever prayed for you, if I've ever talked to you about struggles that you have As a a Christian, there's a good chance that the prescription I've written out for you is to read Ephesians, and to read it not just once, but to read it morning, noon, and night, to read it for a month. In fact, don't even read the rest of the Bible. Read Ephesians three, four, five times, six times, ten times a day, and get that medicine into you. If you're battling doubt, if you're fighting demonic attack, If you're questioning God's love for you, if you're wondering whether you can keep going as a Christian, facing the pressures and the opposition uh, that you face, there's a good chance I'll tell you to read Ephesians, and Ephesians 1 and 2 especially. In fact, sometimes I feel a bit like a broken record, as if that's the only prescription I have. But then... I wonder whether a doctor ever feels like a broken record when he prescribes the same medicine for bronchitis or diabetes or high blood pressure. If it works, why wouldn't you prescribe it? I'm convinced one of the problems that Christians face in their struggle to maintain their faith is that they don't understand what God has already done for them and already done in them. And so they try to do things in their own strength, things they're just not designed to do on their own. And as a result, they get frustrated, they get burnt out, they get disillusioned, and they give up on Christianity because it just doesn't work. I've been through some of those struggles myself where I've tried to do things in my own strength that really God has done for me and in me. Maybe they feel crushed by a constant demonic attack Or maybe the pressure from the culture around them is just too exhausting to keep on struggling. They know the Bible says that the devil has been defeated. They know it says that Christians are overcomers. But that must be other Christians. That must be better Christians than me. That must be stronger Christians. I'm not an overcomer. But these things should not be. When we try to live our Christian life without understanding what God has already done for us in Christ... It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. We're overwhelmed by what seems to be the enemy's superior firepower. But the truth is that we Christians actually have the superior firepower. We've come to this gunfight with cannons, with bazookas, with rocket launchers, with tanks, with fighter bombers, with aircraft carriers. We are not undergunned. The reason we're not undergunned, though, is not because of anything in ourselves. It's precisely because of what God has already done in us in Christ. Ephesians will tell us about our armoury, about the weapons of our warfare. It will tell them when we get to chapter 6 especially about how to use them. But Ephesians begins for us by laying a foundation for us that informs us about our armoury. And this armoury contains both offensive and defensive weapons. And some of you obviously will immediately think of the armour of God in chapter 6. And that's certainly part of it. But it's not the total sum of it. Ephesians opens with a list of what God has done in Christ for us. And it's on this foundation of what God has done in Christ for us that the whole message of Ephesians is built. So Paul starts the letter in his usual way, with a a greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, to the saints in Ephesus, most translations would put that, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul, in his opening and greeting, addresses the faithful saints who are in Christ. You see this idea of being in Christ another ten times in this first chapter, and 21 more times in the rest of the book. That's an average of once every five verses. So you might conclude that this idea of being in Christ is a fairly important theme in Ephesians. And you'd be right. I'll talk a little bit more later on what it means to be in Christ. But it's because we are in Christ that we're called saints. To be a saint is to be placed, to be united to Christ, to be placed in Christ, to be made holy, In God's sight. One of the funny things about the Christian life is that God declares us to be holy even while he works in us to make us holy. So he says you are holy and then he works to make you holy after saying you are holy. Strange thing to get your head around. Ephesians tells us that we are not only empowered to be holy but we're expected to be holy as well. And we're expected all the more in an increasingly dark world to be holy. He goes on in verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we continue on, verse 3, right through to verse 14. Paul writes one continuous sentence. There's no punctuation, there's no commas, full stops, grammar, um, in the Greek, it's 202 words, one long sentence. And he piles one incredible thing that God has done for us on top of another. Uh, you can almost hear his excitement, his passion, his astonishment at what God has done for us. It's almost like he trips over his own words. He's just flowing out of him faster than he can get it out. So we'll read it in one block as Paul wrote it, but as we read through it, there's a number of things to keep your ears open for. Firstly, listen to all the in Christ references, the in him, in the beloved, those types of references. Listen for all the different things that God has done for us. Listen for a rough timeline of God's purposes in salvation, which flows from before creation through the present and on into the future. And listen for the focus on praise to God for his blessings. It starts off in verse 3. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. to the glory, To the praise of his glory. There's at least 13 things that I counted in that passage that God has done for his saints, and that's you and I if you put your trust in him. If you haven't put your trust in him, what are you waiting for? Why wouldn't you want some of those things that God has done for you? I'll run through them very quickly for you. Firstly, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has united us to Christ, that is, we are in him, He chose us in Christ. He has determined that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. He has predestined us, chosen us before time for salvation. He has adopted us as sons through Christ. Now it says sons. We think daughters as well. But there is actually a good reason why it specifies sons. I talked about that a couple of years ago when I preached on this passage. Um... If you want to know why, I'll talk about it a bit more with you later, but not right now. He has adopted us as sons through Christ. He has redeemed us through Christ's blood. He has forgiven our sins. He has lavished his grace on us. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has provided an inheritance for us in Christ. He has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit in Christ. And he has guaranteed our inheritance. That's 13 things I came up with in that list. In uh, 11 verses, I think it was. We don't have time to go into what each one of these means today. If we did, we could easily be here for the rest of the year. You could preach three or four weeks on every single one of those and fill up a whole year. But there are a few things we need to note about this list. All of the work has been done by God. We're not responsible for any of it, not a scrap. The list is not the total sum of the things that God has done for us, but even if God never did anything else, you'd have to think that's enough. None of it could we have done ourselves, even if we wanted to. That fact alone tells us much about God's great love, his mercy, his grace towards us. He didn't demand that we do things that are beyond us. Instead, he worked it in us himself. And notice how much of it is related to being in Christ. Ten times in those 12 verses, Paul refers to the saints being in Christ, in him, in the beloved. So let's go back and have a quick look at a few other things in that passage. In uh, verse 4. It says, just as he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. It's God's pleasure, it's his delight to treat us as sons. He doesn't treat us as servants. That speaks to me of love, Intimacy, a different sort of relationship. What religion is there any anywhere in the world where a holy, pure and righteous God takes delight in welcoming his enemies into his family and treating them as sons? Not Islam, not Hinduism, not Buddhism, not Wicca, not the Ephesian, uh, Ephesian religion, the worship of Artemis not the world systems. None of those delight in welcoming enemies as sons and treating them as sons. And it goes on in verse 7. It tells us, for this reason, sorry, gone a bit too far here. Tells us in verse 7, 8 and 9. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. There's his good pleasure again, which he purposed in Christ. But he made known to us the mystery of his will. Remember Jesus saying, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's John 15, 15. It's one of the benefits of the new relationship we have, this father-son relationship that we now have with God through salvation. It's God's delight to make his mysteries known to us. This The whole idea of being united to Christ, of being in him, is a key concept in Ephesians. And indeed it's a key concept in living a faithful and faith-filled Christian life. I've used an illustration in the past to help us picture what it means to be in Christ. I don't have that illustration here for you today, but if you can imagine two concentric circles, a larger circle and a smaller circle inside. The outer circle is Jesus Christ. The inner circle is us. You, me, other believers who have put their trust in Christ. Completely, the inner circle, completely surrounded by Christ. When we're in Christ, we're protected from the fiery darts of the enemy. Being in Christ is a shield for us. We'll read more about that when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. When God looks at us, He sees us as the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Because we've been clothed in robes of righteousness by him, Ephesians 61.10 tells us. He sees us as holy and blameless before him. Because he sees the righteousness of Christ, not our unrighteousness. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's only for those who are in Christ Jesus that there's no condemnation. There's no charge to be laid against anyone who is in Christ because God himself justifies them, declares them to be righteous before him. And Jesus himself is always interceding for the saints on the basis of our union with him. I said last week that the attitude of our society towards Christians is changing so fast that it almost makes your head spin. Only 10 or so years ago Christians were, for the most part, accepted and even sometimes respected in society. But now we're on, it seems we're on the nose in our culture. We're the stench of death, as the Bible puts it. 2 Corinthians 15:16 16 talks about us being the stench of death, the aroma of death. Seems that we're rapidly becoming an enemy of the state, even here in this free land of Australia. Not only are we ignored or despised for our beliefs, but we're shouted down or sued or threatened with legal action if we dare to speak up about Christ. It may only be a matter of time before our society effectively outlaws us. I gave you a few examples of this from recent history last week. Uh, Pastor Danny Nalia, a number of years back, um, was taken to court for reading a quote straight out of the Quran in a private seminar. Israel Folau, you'll all be familiar with that, his tweet that got him in so much trouble, he got sacked by Rugby Australia and vilified and death threats from thousands or more in this nation. There was proposed conversion therapy last year that fortunately didn't pass, but would have made it a crime to tell people that they need to be saved and that Jesus Christ is the only way. It would have been a criminal offence. These things are not likely to get better for us in the future the secular world order, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that Ephesians will tell us about will not let up their pressure on us. They will not rest until they have silenced us, silenced you, silenced me entirely or crushed all the resistance out of us. How will we respond? How will we stand against opposition like that? The Bible tells us, you know, not just to resist that pressure, but to flow against that pressure. It tells us to be changed, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, it says in Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we to be changed? How are we to be transformed? How are our minds to be renewed? by knowing and understanding the great truths that we find in Ephesians. That's one of the tools that God uses to renew our minds. These truths will ground you. They will anchor you. They will strengthen you. They will enable you to stand against the tide of opposition and to swim against that tide. And it's vitally important that we stand up for Christ even more now than ever before in this nation's history. We're facing opposition and darkness like we've never known before in our history, I don't believe. We're the stench of death to so many in our society, but for some, we're the fragrance of life. How will they smell that fragrance of life, those who are being saved, if we're silent about Christ? We have to stand up. We have to. The salvation of so many depends on it. Salvation of so many depends on us being the fragrance of life and the fragrance of Christ in a dark world. If we're cowed into submission by society, how will they ever hear? The other thing I hope to instill in you with this look in Ephesians then is some backbone some fibre in your soul, steel in your spine, some strength to be a witness to Christ in that darkness, in every situation and in every circumstance, no matter the opposition. And if it should come to it, the courage to stand boldly in the face of that opposition, violence, persecution, even maybe death. And to do that without wavering in your conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way. These things are foundational to our Christian life. The things Ephesians tells us about are foundational and they're true whether you know it or not. Truth doesn't change whether you know it or not. You don't need to have a knowledge and an understanding of these truths to be a Christian. If you want to walk in freedom, in confidence, in boldness... In the assurance of your salvation With the strength to oppose uh, A world that wants to silence you This knowledge is vital You cannot stand without that knowledge If you abide in my truth, Jesus said If you abide in my word, sorry, Jesus said You are truly my disciples And you will know the truth And the truth will set you free What we believe shapes our whole world view it shapes our whole outlook on life. It shapes what we think about ourselves. It shapes how we respond to the world around us. And it shapes us in good ways or it shapes us in bad ways, depending on whether what we believe is true or not. A friend of mine is fond of saying, it is the truth you know that will set you free. That effectively sums up what Jesus said in Abide in my word. The Bible is the word. Abide in it. That's how we come to a knowledge of truth that will set us free. And as we abide in that word, that knowledge will increase. And it brings freedom. Ephesians 1, 15 tells us, For this reason, because I've heard... About your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What should give us greater delight than to hear of the faith of other believers? Everyone we hear about, every single one, whether it's a friend or a stranger, is another brother or sister in Christ. It's another person who, is God, in, who God, in his infinite love and mercy, has chosen to deliver from the bondage of sin and and enter into eternal life. It's another person we get to celebrate with on that great and glorious day when the Lord comes again for all his saints. Everyone we hear about is another example that God's kingdom is advancing and will continue to advance. Every salvation is evidence that God is still faithful that God is still merciful, that God is still gracious and loving and powerful. Every salvation is evidence that Jesus Christ has truly defeated death, sin and the devil. No wonder Paul did not cease to give thanks. Truths like that are too wonderful to just pass by. I hope you get excited when you hear about Salvations. When you hear about the great thing God is doing, it's the greatest miracle of all, to be turned from death to life. It was a constant source of delight for Paul and a constant reminder for him to pray that God would continue to reveal himself to them and to build faith in them. Verse 16 tells us, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And it goes on in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he worked, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, far above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And... God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How often, brothers and sisters, do we pray for other Christians, for the church down the road, for the believers in China and in Afghanistan and in Iran and in South America, How often do we pray for them that God would reveal himself to them, that he would do his work in them, that he would do his work through them. All through this letter, we see the same thing. We are all part of one body. We are all part of the same body, the church, which is Christ's body. It's the church that is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And the church, you and I, and all believers, have a vitally important role to play in God's plan. That's an important thread that runs all through Ephesians as well, this idea that all believers, regardless of where they live, regardless of what race they are, what language they speak, how old or how young they are, how new to the faith or how solid and established, regardless of their income or their social status, we are all part of the one body, the same family. They are genuinely brothers and sisters. I commented last week that the church of Ephesus was made up of Jews and Gentiles together. That was unusual in those days. It's probably unusual in these days too. But it was especially unusual for the Jews. The Jews despised the Gentiles. And the Gentiles had no love for the Jews either. So for there to be Jew and Gentile in the one church was virtually unknown in that society. But it was the makeup of all the churches that Paul planted. He told us back in verse ten that in the fullness of time God will gather together all things in Christ in one. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. One day, there will be perfect unity amongst the people of God. The church today is a pointer to that time. Church is imperfect, we all know that. Churches hurt people. Churches stray from teaching truth. But the church is a pointer to the time when one day all things will be together in Christ and under Christ now I think would be a good time for us to start practicing unity to start practicing peace with our brothers and sisters in other churches to practice love and reconciliation with them we live in dark times increasingly dark times that should be no surprise to us Jesus warned us that that would happen The New Testament tells us that there will be wars and rumours of wars before the end comes. That there will be persecutions, there will be tribulations. There will be many who oppose us and kill us thinking they're doing God a favour. Any Christian who imagines that the world will get more and more accepting of him and of Christians is in for a rude shock. They're living in delusion. Any Christian that tries to get through life imagining that we'll either abandon his faith entirely in disillusionment or he'll go into hiding. But we're not called to go into hiding, friends, are we? We're not called to go into hiding. We're called to be lights in the darkness. We're called to be a city on the hill, shining the light of Christ into that darkness. We're called to engage our culture and not to hide from our culture. We're not called to be a church that shuts the doors and pretends we're not here. We're called to engage our culture in our workplaces, in our families, in politics, wherever it may be. But we're called to engage it with humility, with love, with grace, and with the conviction that Jesus Christ is not only our only hope, but their only hope. We're called to be bold, bold witnesses of him in spite of opposition, persecution, death. Because of opposition, persecution, death, we're called to be witnesses to Christ. We won't survive this society with our faith intact if we don't understand the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. Why Paul prayed that God would grant wisdom and, And revelation to the Ephesians, that he would grant wisdom and revelation to us. That God would open our eyes to the glorious inheritance that he has called us to. That we would understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe. There's another theme that runs through Ephesians about the heavenlies. When we get to chapter 6, we'll see that spiritual forces of evil reside in the heavenlies. There are rulers and authorities in these heavenly places, it tells us in chapter 3 of Ephesians. There's cosmic powers over this present darkness, Paul wrote. These powerful forces oppose Christians, oppose the gospel, oppose the church. They oppose God himself. And we wrestle with them daily. There's not a day goes by when we're not wrestling with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But we don't need to fear. We have no fear, or we should have no fear. Christ has defeated those forces, every one of them. He has defeated. They are under his feet. They are under his authority. He's defeated them by his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension to glory. God has seated him. It told us back in verse 20, At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Every single one of those rulers and authorities is subject to Jesus Christ. Every one of them. There is not one that can stand against Jesus Christ. There is no exception. Not one of them can operate outside of God's permission and God's perfect will. Not one of them. The reason God allows them to continue in opposition to him and to us will become clearer as we work our way through Ephesians. But the truth is we don't need to fear them because not only is Jesus Christ seated in heavenly places above them, we are seated in heavenly places above them. And we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you realise where that puts you? Do you realise that puts you in heavenly places above all those forces? These things that we'll read, we are reading and will read in Ephesians, are true whether you know them or not. But they won't be any encouragement to them to you they won't be a source of strength encouragement if you don't know them and they are only true for Christians only true for Christians they are only true for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation if you've never done that if you're uncertain that you've ever done it you're not certain about your salvation or your eternal future you can do it now it's pretty simple in fact, you must do it now, because you don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. It's a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. If you don't know how to do that, plenty of people here can help you. Plenty of people here would love you to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Or you can come and talk to me afterwards. If you're already a believer, give thanks to God that these things are true and I ask you this week to read Ephesians chapter 1 over and over and over again meditate on them think about them pray over them this week read it until it's engraved on your heart and fixed in your mind because they are keys to freedom and also preparation for next week read chapter 2 Chapter 2 almost seems to say the opposite of chapter 1. But chapter 2 will help to keep you grounded and stop you becoming arrogant and thinking, look how good I am. Chapter 2 will keep you humble. That's all part of the same package. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, we praise you (coughs) for your glorious grace towards us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for adopting us as sons, for redeeming us, for forgiving us our sins. We thank you for guaranteeing our salvation and our inheritance by the promised Holy Spirit. You, God, are a faithful God. You are faithful to keep your promises. You are faithful towards your chosen people. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal these great truths to our brothers and sisters in the faith. And that you would open the eyes and the hearts of our family, our friends, our workmates, even our enemies. For the salvation is found only in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for our leaders in this state and this nation. That they would lead us with wisdom and righteousness. That they would promote legislation that allows us to live peaceful and godly lives. And we thank you and we bless you and we will praise you now and forever. To your glory, Lord, in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you for your attention. I, I uh, trust and pray that you will have a great week this week and that God will engrave on your heart and on your mind these truths of Ephesians chapter 1, that there will be a a fire in your soul and a steel in your backbone this week. Please stay, have some coffee. Um, cake, biscuits, whatever we've got there have some fellowship, please don't hurry off, thanks to our visitors for joining us today, we uh, love to have you back sometime next week and on into the future and uh, God bless you all, have a fantastic week, till we meet again thanks for listening to City Edge Church for more information go to cityedgechurch.com.au.